0: Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Heal and Spectator contributor Patrick O'Flynn. Now, Suella Braveman is in Washington today and giving a speech to a think tank on illegal migration saying that seeking asylum and seeking better economic prospects are not the same thing. Now, Patrick, this is a characteristically punchy speech that we're expecting from Surielda Braveman. And she's saying that there are 780 million people who could be allowed to come over to the UK under the current UN Refugee Convention. That's what she's saying, we should reform. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. What does the convention say and what is she basing that huge number on?
1: Well, the huge number, I believe, comes from a a Centre for Policy Studies uh, pamphlet co-authored by Nick Timothy. Who uh, who knows a lot about the subject, and I think it's certainly true that we're into hundreds of millions of people with at least a notional ability to clear the immigration and asylum system in Britain if they manage to get here. So that just illustrates the the unfeasible and unsustainable scale of irregular migration, you know, and. I'm not surprised really that Suella's being punchy in another country in America about this issue because it's occurred to me for a while that this is becoming a problem of rich countries, you know, you have the the Lampedusa situation, you know, putting the Italian political system under strain, Mm. you have enormous influxes through the Mexico-American border, which is bound to become a very major presidential election issue there. And I would say that Rishi Sunak has slightly sort of undercooked this possibility to assemble some kind of international coalition or alliance that's serious about fundamental reform.
0: You think that there could be an international alliance on this?
1: Well, I think it would be advantageous to mm. the Prime Minister at least to be seen to be building alliances, although, you know, ultimately it's up to each nation state to actually deliver for their people. And I think. That with Suella Braverman, whatever you think of her, I think you know that she would really bust a gut to actually tackle the issue and get a deportation system that works. And if that means pulling out of the thicket of international arrangements that that bind us, she would be prepared to do it. I don't know that anyone's sure whether Rishi Sunak would.
0: Mm. And James, you're joining us from Bournemouth, where you've been for Lib Dem conference. I mean, how have these comments landed there? And do you think that is pretty much going down as expected with the Lib Dems, but also with the Tories. I mean, are people actually thinking, yeah, this is something good that she's talking about from the Tory side, at least?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's no great surprise to say that insofar as much as her comments have been mentioned here, it's usually with a rolling of eyes and uh, a tone of disgust. Um, and I think it's maybe perhaps a little bit too soon to say how the reaction will be within the Conservatives by, of course, it being parliamentary recess. But the timing is interesting, coming just a few days before we have that Conservative Party conference. Uh, which begins this weekend and so i think that it's going to be an issue to watch out for i think there's certainly frustration perhaps uh, disproportionately to that in the polls which is reflected in those kind of red wall seats and something that conservative mps say is a real issue of concern things to do with small boat crossing illegal crossings etc and around the broader debate around asylum but i think that you know i think the party broadly would probably there is a sense of frustration with how the legal establishment has been acting and so i think that it will probably insofar as there will be some minority who might want to speak out about it most i think would probably sympathise although perhaps wonder if she should have said it in a speech like this just a few days before the next conference so i think it's too soon to tell about in terms of reaction but certainly uh, there's no many not many great fans among the Liberal Democrats about Sue
0: <laughs> Well, Patrick, that timing question is really interesting. Coming a few days before Manchester, as James says, do you think that this is some kind of not so subtly veiled leadership pitch that just at least just putting herself on the map? I mean, when you look at the Conservative home um, ranking of ministers, she's c- kind of middling, you know, top third mm. for sure, but she's not doing amazingly, for example, compared to Kebby Badenoch.
1: Uh, No, I certainly think there's a dimension of that uh, behind it. She's, you know, speaking within her own portfolio on one of the most important issues. But I'm quite sure that people around uh, Suella think that when the time comes for another Conservative leadership contest, that she will run and she will hope to put in a stronger showing than she did last time. And, you know, if there's going to be the traditional right winger and, quote, one nation two candidates delivered to the party membership whoever the right wing candidate is will win and i mm-hmm. think that's even even more likely post a conservative general election defeat if that's what we see and so she's she's clearly in that respect she's on maneuvers i expect that the nightmare for rishi sunak will be if next week turns into a, a beauty contest say between kemi suella mm-hmm. james cleverly i think probably the prime minister has done enough in the last couple of weeks um to instill a little little bit of hope for the future to show that he has some guts and gumption and and that it won't become you know here's a dead duck and everyone's looking to to next year's yeah. leadership contest but but you know I think Suella uh, of, of the, the potential main contenders she's the one who's as you say furthest down in the rankings mm. maybe feels she has more work than the others to do to get into position. so that's why it's no surprise that she's putting more energy into a populist issue like this.
0: Well Patrick just on that is Kemi Badenot can it can she still be considered like a right-wing option I mean since she's gone into government you know she's said something things that have been pretty much pro-government lines. For example, on China, I was quite surprised at her comments about how China doesn't need to be labelled in in, in an enhanced tier of um, hostile state. It seems like she's kind of watered down some of her positions.
1: Well, that's certainly uh, some of the the right-wing, perhaps Suella supporters would be pushing that idea. But I think think Kemi's comments on China and net zero were completely Mm. misinterpreted. I think her point was that while we are bound to the current you know, straight jacket on net zero in you know, sort of micro policies pitched into particular deadlines we simply can't afford to be rigorous with China I don't think she was saying we shouldn't be rigorous with China and as I recall in Kemi's leadership uh, campaign in summer 2022 she actually raised and was the first candidate to raise the idea of coming off some of the detailed commitments on net zero Mm. and she was supportive Mm. of Rishi Sunak last week so I think she was almost making the opposite point on that that actually in order to be rigorous with China we need to give ourselves a little more freedom of manoeuvre on the net
2: zero programme.
0: I see. James, you've just listened to Ed Davies' uh, leadership speech to wrap up that party conference. Uh, What did you think of it?
2: Well, it was short on soaring oratory, but laser-focused on Tory targets. We're here at the speech in the Bournemouth International Centre, this police where um, Margaret Thatcher gave her final conference speech as Tory leader. And that's a really nice sort of Sign of where the Lib Dem intentions are at. They're going after those eighty seats where they finished second to the Conservatives in twenty nineteen. Those so called blue wall seats. And so it's unsurprising that in his speech, Ed Davey mentioned the Conservatives twenty seven times. Labour just three times, and SNP once. So this speech was really going after the Tory government, uh, name checking ministers Nadim Zahawi, Matt Hancock. You know, not. What prime ministers, people, so really kind of client trying to make a thing about Tory sleeves, etc. And it was a speech, I think, where he was talking a lot about the NHS, GP services. And that's quite telling, I think, because next time uh, Lib Dems intend to run a very hyper localized campaign. So what they're having is the, at the national level, they're out making speeches around the NHS, but at a local level, they'll be saying, your local GP service, your local hospital, XYZ insert name here. And I think that that kind of correlation between what the leader is saying nationally here in Bournemouth and what they're going to be emphasising on the, on the ground is key. And a really, really good sign of how the Lib Dems, I think, have evolved in their thinking since 2019 in terms of what the national messaging they're projecting to the electorate.
0: And what's the mood like there, James, on the ground? Are the, are the Lib Dems feeling pretty hopeful of quite a big victory next year? It's a good question. I think talking to uh,
2: kind of Professional party, the campaigners who we doing this, you know, working Lido HQ, they're very enthused in the sense of they can see things from the up. They've had four by election victories, and there's nothing like winning in politics to give you a buzz. I think the membership as a whole, would perhaps like a little more on Europe, I was struck at a speech yesterday where the deputy Liberal Democrats stood up and began throwing remarks. We could all agree Brexit is an unmitigated disaster, and I think they would like more of that. And I think we've seen perhaps. You know, they want to go further on Europe. They would also, there's some a bit of a few tensions around housing. But broadly, it's been a successful conference for the Lib Dems. And of course, remember, this is the first in-person autumnal conference they've had since 2019. So I think by dint of that, I know they're quite glad to be here, clearly on the up, and looking forward to an excellent campaign. So I suspect that, Certainly of the conferences this week, the mood will certainly rest than that the Tories up in Manchester.
0: Patrick, from your perspective, do you have any advice for how the Lib Dems can do even better? Because I was struck by um, the opening of the conference where Ed Davey was confronted with a word cloud on the BBC where people responded with... Words that they associated with Ed Davey and the top words were don't know, no idea, not sure. So I mean, a lot, a, f- a lot to go.
1: Yeah, I think um, for the first time I can remember, really, the Lib Dems are going into the next election as a subsidiary brand to Labour. I can't think of a, I mean, people say the similar word cloud words about <laughs> Keir Starmer, right. so it's it's kind of a, a slightly low rent tribute act that's going on. But I think the only election that I can see where the Liberal Democrats and the Labour will actually come to any kind of blows is the mid-Bedfordshire by-election, where they both fancy their chances. But fundamentally, certainly the most since 1997, when you had Blair and Ashdown, but Ashdown was a more charismatic figure by far than Ed Davey, you have, you know, basically, it's one offer, one Mm. offer from both parties. And, you know, even uh, today, Ed Davey wouldn't go for Keir Starmer on anything at all. Even, you know, his implications are, are, are on, you know, a passage where he he, he speaks of um of you can be cautious against the Conservatives or you can have a values-based battle with them. It's only by implication that you could say, does he mean Keir Starmer? So I suspect there are very extensive contacts behind the scenes between Starmer's people and Davies' people. And, you know, they're they're looking to wield that tactical anti-Tory feeling across the whole country and make it work under first-past-the-post. And it might...
0: James and Patrick, thanks very much and thank you very much for listening. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, do give us a rating or a review or tell a friend about it. Thanks for listening.